The Ringer NBA show is presented by State Farm. The moment we've all been waiting for is about to arrive, the official start to the NBA season. The offseason was filled with a lot of big changes and fresh starts. For the fresh starts in your life, talk to a State Farm agent. So when it comes to insurance, you don't have to go it alone. I am very excited for the fresh start of Zion Williamson. He's been killing it in preseason. We're going to talk about that a little bit with Charks here. He is shooting 71% from the floor, which is historically good. And I think we will see a lot of dunks from him, if not some competitive basketball from the Pelicans, a team that could potentially make the playoffs in the Western Conference. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance and get a teammate who could help you prepare for the big changes in your life. State Farm. Basketball is very good. Matisse Thibel is the next Kawhi. Jokic needs to put on more weight. The Knicks actually need more power forwards. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is the group chat. I am Justin Verrier. Isaac Lee is on the ones and twos this week. And Chris Ryan is not with us for our last show right before the regular season. Bit of load management in the preseason while we still can. But joining us from Dallas, Jonathan Charks. What's up, buddy? Well, in honor of this NBA season, we're going with a big two today on group chat. That's right. We have Isaac here as our Lou Williams. Lou Williams, or are you more of a Trez? I consider myself more of a Trez, but uh, I, either way, it's a compliment. A lot of activity. I'm going to say you're more of a Landry Shamit. I'll take that too. I'll take that too. Come and get your takes in really fast. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about Carl Towns. Charks did a story about that today on TheRinger.com. We're going to get into some rookies in the preseason because those are the players that really are kind of popping off here. I really haven't heard a ton about anyone except for rookies as we've gone through the past few weeks. Uh, First, let's talk about China and the NBA. There really isn't much more to this story that's happened overnight. I, I imagine something will happen while we're recording, which will make this entirely moot. But uh, LeBron James talked at Lakers practice uh, yesterday and pretty much tried to shoo away the story. He said it was the last he's going to talk about it. ESPN published a story from Dave McMiniman later that evening in which I think pretty much crystallized where LeBron probably falls on this whole thing, which is uh, it seems like he's more upset with the league maybe being in a double standard position where they want the players to kind of be front and center with this and really kind of taking the brunt in terms of just like accounting for it, at least with the media and just in the public. But for the most part, he's still staying away from actually addressing that. So, uh, so it's a worthwhile read, but I'm not sure there's really much more to it. But we're going to keep track of that as the games go on, because obviously if, if things happen with loss of money and, and BRI and, and salary cap, that's going to affect the, the game and what we're doing this season. But for the most part, I think uh, a lot of people are ready to turn the page on the China story and talk about the season. Because of that, we're going to talk about some rookies. Sharks, have you been paying a lot of attention to the preseason? I mean, not a ton, but enough to talk about them on this podcast. That's all that matters. That's all we need to do. We just need to make the content. We're going to go through. Sharks did did a series in August uh, as we were waiting for basketball to come back into our lives uh, called The Rookie Curve. It was the second year he's done that for us where he kind of looks at some of the more prominent rookies and the battles ahead they have in their first season. We're going to do a version of that, just sorry off the top, just because a lot of these guys have shown some things that probably they didn't even show in Summer League. And they a lot of them actually played John Morant, Zion Williamson, the two guys that we really didn't get to see much in Vegas. 
But let's talk a little bit about what we've seen over the past couple of weeks. I think the only way place to start here is really Zion. Sharks, he has been just crushing. Uh, he is shooting 71% from the floor right now. I know it's preseason, but uh, we're going to have a story on the ringer tomorrow about how that's historic, at least from since I think 2005, what it was. What's your biggest takeaway from Zion in his, I believe, four preseason games? Well, I think what stands out when you watch him, I mean, if he's playing at power forward and as the league gets smaller at the four, and like, how are these power forwards going to guard him? Right. Like, so he played Utah and they're playing like Joe Ingles and Boyan Bogdanovich at the four. Zion's got like 60 pounds. Yeah. I, I think that's the thing that really jumped out to me. We talked a, a little bit about him last week with Chris, but I knew he was explosive. But I think when you don't see him in a live ball situation, you start to kind of really focus on what an odd, just physical specimen he is and just like how he is this bowling ball. And you're not really used to seeing that. But when you see him matched up against guys like Collins, you could just see his athleticism just kind of really take over and really jump off the page. And and that's been really exciting for me to see, just that he can be the guy I think we're all expecting him to, right? Do you see him bully Rudy Gobert at one point? That was ridiculous. The Gobert thing is incredible. I think that's the thing. I think I, I worry too much about his size, his lack of shooting, but it does feel like his speed and quickness and just like his overall aggressiveness is really going to make a difference, even against NBA veterans. Yeah, and the smart thing the Warriors were doing in this preseason, what I was kind of worried about when they signed favors and drafted Jackson Hayes, number eight, and those are two centers on my shooting range, is if those two guys are playing most of the game, you can kind of clog the landing in Zion. But if they're playing him with Nicola Melli, the uh, European big man they brought, like a 6'9 stretch four, all of a sudden, if the paint's open and Zion's one-on-one, it's going to be yeah, hard that, to stop. Yeah, that's the thing with the Pelicans. It's just they have too many good guys. Uh, they've acquired too many assets. And to the point where I watched that Hawks game, which I believe is his first game, is his preseason debut. And Derek Favor is a guy that I am high on this season. I think you are too, Sharks. Uh, just getting to play center finally after being forced to play in the front court with Rudy Gobert for so many years. He kind of was ancillary. He kind of was forgettable. And I do wonder if those sorts of intriguing guys ultimately are going to kind of fall into very limited roles because this is really the Zion show. He needs to stay in the corner. Like, I hate to say it, but Zion's doing his thing. He's the number one pick. You've got to get out of his way. So to me, Favors and Hayes, I'd worry if I were them because Zion's got to get to the rim. And they almost have to play smaller given what he's doing already. Right, right. Yeah. I, I do wonder, though, the one thing that I think is kind of just looming there in the background are the shooting issues. The, the free throw form is is pretty ugly. So he's shooting 71% from the field, as I mentioned, but 25% from three and 69% from free throw range. I guess, are you concerned at all? Is this the type of thing where we look back in December and we're like, oh, yeah, this is actually a red flag and teams are just going to put him on the line whenever possible? I think he's going to get a lot of free throws for sure. I think he's going to get to the line a ton, but I don't know that you necessarily want him to do that because it's going to get the team on the bonus. And if you look at like Ben Simmons, remember Ben Simmons' rookie year? No one was like worrying about the jumper really because it didn't matter. Like it'll matter in like a playoff series, sure. But in a regular season game with his physical ability, I mean, Simmons was fine until the playoffs two, three years ago, whenever it was now. Right. So this is really his honeymoon phase. We're, we're going to see the best of Zion. We're going to be wild by the highlights. We're going to see him on Instagram every time we pull up our feeds. But perhaps they're, like the nuance and everything, 
uh, won't be there, which is kind of why I am not super high on the Pelicans as a playoff team. I just think they have a lot of young guys overall, but if their whole season is dependent on Zion kind of being transformative from the jump, he's going to go through these growing pains, even if he is this monster. Do you remember Blake Griffin in what, 2010 when he got Mozgov and it was like the biggest story in the NBA for like two months? Right, right, yes. And he was just dunking on everyone. I'm hoping that happens again. It'd be fun to watch. Right, yeah. There's nothing wrong with the honeymoon phase. That was actually probably Blake Griffin's best year in terms of just like pure enjoyment. Like not as a basketball, Isaac is looking at me with a, b- a befuddled <laughs> look. No, not not as like a, a, a like actual good basketball player. It was all downhill I was about from to there. Say, like he was a top five MVP one season. Right, no, but I think immediately after he got really sullen and like all of his preening and antics really kind of colored how we viewed him. I think as, as yeah. a celebrity, as a star. You know what happened is uh, Chris Paul came to town. <laughs> That's, I've heard that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, and that doesn't help when it comes to making other NBA players sullen. But yeah, it does feel like we're in for that season with Zion. So I'm excited. I think that's definitely the thing that I'm most looking forward to this NBA season. Uh, Something that perhaps our our boss, Bill Simmons, is is particularly interested in these days are a couple Celtics bros, a couple Celtics draft picks whom before like yesterday hadn't really like popped on my radar. But young Carson Edwards from Purdue, famous mostly in my life from one of the best memes of all time where he was telling one of his teammates to calm down. Eight threes. I missed this meme. When we, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, it wasn't last year. It was the year before that. He had a very tall, gangly teammate whose hair he had to slick back. And he, I guess he had just... Oh, the guy was like 7'3". I know what you're talking about. He's a super tall guy. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. And he had he was apparently upset about something. And Carson Edwards does the like, okay, calm down. And it's it's among one of my favorites. Justin, you got to watch the State Tournament, man. Carson's jumping like 40 points last year. That should be your top memory of Carson Edwards. Yeah, no, I, I definitely checked out of college uh, a little bit more than I, I cared to admit last year because then I looked up his stats uh, and apparently he was taking almost 11 threes per game. And I was like, oh, that's that seems significant, uh, especially after last night where he hit eight made threes in the third quarter alone. Uh, that was Tuesday against Cleveland. Uh, I believe that he only had nine minutes in that quarter. Uh, I was seeing that, like, I think he's... He hit the- Three a minute? Yeah, like it was to the point where Brad Stevens was literally astonished after the game. Uh, are we are we in for Isaiah 2.0 with Carson Edwards is my question for you, Sharks. I was thinking more Patty Mills, probably. Okay, that's a good comp. Yeah, he's going to get points this year. I don't know much about Edwards. Do you have much hope for him to be like a significant contributor? I think he can score, get points off the bench. He can shoot from anywhere. He can shoot off the dribble. He can run around screens and shoot. The reason he wasn't a first-round pick is because he didn't play much defense. He didn't really pass all that much. He's like 6'1". He just shot constantly. So, you know, there's, there's questions for the rest of his game. But on a team like Boston with other good players around him who can kind of facilitate, he can come in off the bench and score. And I think there's a role for him in this team. I, I could see him playing all year and having, having games like this where he just comes in. The dude can score from anywhere. He's ridiculous. Yeah, Boston does have a knack for finding these guys. I guess the issue is that they are starting to have a type here just a little bit. I do wonder with Kemba and Carson, like let's say Carson does uh, solidify himself to the point where he is a significant contributor, the guy getting, if not starters minutes, then maybe six man, seventh man, something like that. Uh, it's a lot of little guys because also Marcus Smart is going to be a big factor in this team. Jason Tatum, obviously, Gordon Hayward. They don't really have 
a set center that I think will make a huge impact. They're really hoping on Daniel Dice and Ennis Cantor and our guy Time Lord will really fill Time Lord, who I think in like his first preseason game played a minute or just like got pulled immediately. So I'm not really super encouraged by him. But yeah, I, I guess we'll see with Edwards. It is an incredible one quarter, but I wonder if he's exhausted all of his magic already. Uh, you want to talk about Grant Williams. Well, you were talking about them not really having much of a center option. This guy might be their best center. It's crazy. He's like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, but he's built like a tank. He's a really smart player. He's shooting threes. He was more of a mid-range post guy in college, and he's shooting threes now in the preseason. I could see this is a guy Brad Stevens is going to love. And he was, um, he was like a real good analytics guy. There were questions about his size coming out of the draft, but I could see Williams having a big role this season for Boston, given their lack of size up front. So he's 6'7", he's 240, but this is kind of my concern. I mean, it seems like the Celtics, their fate and their, the, like how well they're going to play this season is going to rest on their ability to play in small ball situations, no? Yeah, I don't see them having the size to play traditionally. I mean, right? Like, why why lose the canner if you can play small? At least you have a chance to win this way if you play smaller. Right. I mean, I, I wonder if Marcus Smart will be functionally their center uh, at times in small ball lineups. And I just wonder, given the size in Milwaukee and now especially in Philadelphia, if we're really going to see them at a disadvantage, especially if, like, you know, Jason Tatum's shot doesn't come back, if if Gordon Hayward isn't the guy from Utah. He's the guy from last year who just like completely seemed just afraid to get to the rim at times. So I don't know. Are, do you have any specific feeling on on Boston going into the season? You know what's funny? So they were talk, we were talking to Porzingis, and he said, really, it was going up against Marcus Smart that kind of forced him to work on his like post-game and scoring over smaller players. Because apparently at some point, Smart just locked him up, like maybe two years ago now. At like six four and a seven three guy, so I mean it's hard to post up Marcus Smart. He's a freaking tank. Yeah, and he did have the Team USA experience. Uh, he did show that he can have that impact on the defensive end at least uh, for a Team USA team that completely failed us as a country. But that's fine. Uh, I also Sharks wanted to bypass this Celtic segment without talking about Taco Fall, but I gotta say I love I love me some Taco. Just the meme king, Justin. That's all you know about these guys. They're in memes. This is really a great way to uh, connect with our audience, just talking about memes like a couple of 40-year-olds. <laughs> but yes, Taco Fall, uh, he's seven foot six. It seems like the crowd just loves him. Every time he does something, he just got a huge ovation from the Celtic crowd. Uh, he's going to be in Maine, I guess, for most of the year. But I, for one, hope that he makes his way back to the big league club. Is there any hope of him actually playing significant minutes in the NBA ever? Maybe. I mean, if you can run a 2-3 zone out there, maybe he could be like Boban, come in for like five minutes at a time, kind of change the game up a little bit. New Boban? It's possible. It's possible. I mean, he's just so freaking big. I mean, at this point, Boban is really just uh, both an actor and just specifically an actor in commercials. Uh, so I could definitely see Taco filling that role, especially his name just lends itself. A John Wick villain. Right, right. I, I can't believe you're slandering the name of my guy, Boban. He can't <laughs> play actual minutes. He shoots threes. He's he's going to play for Dallas. This he year. is. Play him. He shot like a three or two threes. More than Ben Simmons. This is this is. <laughs> uh, so maybe Taco Fall can be that guy. I, I don't know. It, it's, it's funny. He, there was practice or pregame footage that came out 
right before the game, I think it was before this Cleveland game, of him attempting to shoot threes. I don't really think it was him working on his range so much as just like messing around. And for one, the ball comes from his waist, which I'm like, oh no. And then the way, because his arms are so long, it's almost like they work in just different phases where in order to get it like in front of his face is one and then to actually get it extended. <laughs> like a there. trebuchet or something? Like Right, exactly, yes. And so perhaps this is a little bit tougher for him than, than our guy Boban, but I want him to succeed. I want everything good for Taco. Maybe like if he extends them all the way out, he's probably like five feet closer and he can kind of like underhand the ball into the basket. Right. As long as he's at the rim, <laughs> he could just dunk it. Like that's literally what they were doing. They were running pick and rolls for him. He would get to the rim somehow and they would just loft it and he would catch it and barely even jump and he would dunk it. I just love it. I hope it works out for him. There was a guy I remember a couple years ago named Mamadou Enjai. He was like 7'7 or something. And... He ended up being an Uber for my father-in-law, a fa- Uber driver. I was like, man. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, really? My father-in-law, my father-in-law texted me a picture. He's like, is this guy playing the NBA? Because he's six foot seven, and this guy's just towering over him after he got out of the Uber. And I was like, yeah, I know who that is. That's, that's really unfortunate. <laughs> is this recently? I think it was last year. Wow. What a fall for, for our guy. Uh, I'm saying. It's tough out there. Right. And his Cantor was also filming uh, Taco Fall in a car recently. Uh, so perhaps this is just like our destiny with, with these tall guys to just witness them in, in cars. Um, all right, let's, let's pivot here to a guy who plays nothing like taco fall. He is Tyler hero of the Miami heat. I'm disappointed sharks because he was on your initial list for rookie curve targets. Uh, we were going to write about him, but we didn't end up getting to him. And now it seems like he's kind of becoming a thing. Yeah. Let me tell you the, my favorite Tyler Hero story. So he's from Wisconsin. And if you don't really know much about it, Wisconsin's one of those like Big Ten state schools where the state school is like the biggest thing in the state. And he commits to University of Wisconsin, I think as a high school junior. And everyone's like, oh, that's great. We'll be the next Sam Decker. He can go to Wisconsin, go to the league. And then Kentucky starts recruiting him. And he decides to break his commitment to Wisconsin and commit to Kentucky. And everyone in Wisconsin just freaking hates him. Like, you're a traitor, blah, blah, blah. And Hero just tells him, hey, I'm freaking awesome. I, I can't be going to Wisconsin and throwing, playing post-up basketball. I got to go get buckets. I'm just that good to be playing at a national school. So y'all can chill out. I just love the confidence. He's like, I'm just great. I can't be playing at a small school like this. Come on. Yeah, no, it definitely comes through. I, I think that's partly what turned me off about him to begin with, because he does have this just air of cockiness. But as we've seen earlier in this preseason, even in summer league to a certain extent, I think it's paying off because he looks like he belongs on a court immediately. I think you kind of have to be confident if you're in his shoes because people are going to test you. And if you, if you have any kind of lack of confidence, you've got to come in like extra hard, basically, if you're Tyler Hero. Let him know you're for real. Right. I mean, so he's shooting 53% from three in three preseason games now, admittedly a very small sample size. Uh, but he hit four straight Monday against the Hawks, and he scored Miami's first 14 points. Now, he definitely won't do that going forward. Uh, he shot 33% from three at Summer League, and he shot 35 36% in college. But it does seem like his range is legit. And on a team like Miami, who has a lot of interesting parts, but perhaps no one really liked Tyler Hero, it seems like he can be a significant contributor for this team. I think so. What what stood out to me in that game, it was against Atlanta. So he's starting on the perimeter next to Jimmy Butler and Justice Winslow. So that's two, what, six, 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 seven guys, freaking huge. 
Atlanta has to put Trey Young on Hero because obviously you can't put Trey Young on Jay Butler or Justice Winslow. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. And then Hero can just shoot over Trey Young like it's nothing. And if you look at it, he's one of the rare guys. If he's starting, he gets to hide on defense because he's playing with Jimmy and Justice, right? So whoever the worst offensive player is, Hero gets to hide on him. And then when he's on offense, they're going to put the worst defender on him, most likely. Because you can't put an undersized guard against a 6'6", 6'7", guy like Justice or Jimmy. So really, he's in the perfect spot to have a good season. I think this could really work well like as a synergy effect going on. Yeah, I do wonder how much Miami's just... The fact that they could put up so many defensive menaces out there and they have the potential to be a very good defensive team this year if it allows them to be a little bit more lax with some of their combinations. If it would flip the other way as opposed to... Uh, you know, because they're such a good defense, they can put a guy like Hero out there and really cover and and help themselves out on offensive end. Uh, I don't know how you're feeling about Miami, but as this kind of preseason has gone along, as I've seen Jimmy kind of settle in there, I'm a little bit more hopeful that they might be in the mix for a top four seed in the East. Yeah, I think so. I think A, Spolster is a really good coach. He's going to find the right combinations. B, we saw Jimmy last year in the playoffs. He was amazing. He played like a top 10 player. So you've got an elite player, you've got an elite coach, and you've got a lot of interesting moving parts. And I think they'll be able to find the right mix. I imagine, you know, end of the game, they'll probably go Jimmy at the four. You have Bam, you know, Justice. Then you just got to find some shooting around those guys. And that's where you get Waiters, Hero, Kelly Olinick, Myers Leonard, you know. And this team, this team to me, I think it might make a trade too at some point this season. Yeah, I mean, when you have new Ray Allen and Tyler Hero, things really come together for you. Well, at least be the next Luke Kennard. We don't have to be Ray Allen just yet. Right, right, exactly. All right, let's take a break there. Uh, We're going to come back and talk about some other rookies that we've been keeping an eye on this preseason, as well as Chark's story on Carl Anthony Towns. Today's episode of Group Chat is brought to you by the Google Assistant. The Google Assistant is ready to help you get more done with just your voice in the car, at home, and everywhere you take your phone. Hey Google, how many three-point shots has J.J. Redick hit in his career? Here's what I have for J.J. Redick, a career total of 1,704 three-pointers. A little help hands-free. Just say, hey Google, to get started. All right, let's pivot just slightly here to a guy who is near and dear to my heart. Uh, one John Morant, the future rookie of the year. I've, I've been a, a Morant stan for going on maybe two weeks now. It's really, really uh, get on the bus sort of situation here with me. Uh, so he played against the Hornets the other night. And as I was looking to catch up on young jaw to see what he's been up to this preseason, I found at least five different highlights of him doing things such as going behind his back and then through his legs at one point in order to get by a defender. Uh, He missed a dunk where he almost completely obliterated someone at the rim. It looked very um, Westbrookian in the way that he just kind of just stormed the lane and almost threw it down on someone. He did a 360 in warmups, just kind of messing around. And he was so fast at one point, he was not even at midcourt and he beat, the entire defense to the rim and scored with ease. So I'm at the point with Morant where, I don't know, I, I'm starting to feel like he could be a pretty good player in this league. Am I wrong? Yeah, I think it's really set up well for him. So I was in Memphis last week doing some stuff, um, doing a story. So I got to kind of watch him up close and personal. 
And it really feels like they're going to maximize him. Um, so when I was there, they had uh, Valanchunas was out. So they're playing Jaron Jackson as a starting center. And then as the backup center, they're playing Bruno Caboclo. So they were going like spread, pick and roll, five out basketball the whole game. And that's really where Jaws at his best is getting to the lane and then passing the ball to other people. So if they're playing him with four shooters around him and letting him run to the rim constantly, he should have a pretty good year. And yeah, in person, his speed is ridiculous. He just just blows by people. He was matched up against RJ Hampton, who's probably going to be a top 10 pick next year. And he was just blowing by him at will, basically. And it's just rare you see a guy who's that fast, who's that good a passer. It really reminded me of De'Aaron Fox. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, Because when I watched him, and perhaps this is because an article you wrote earlier this year about him, it it definitely saw Westbrook without maybe the bulk or or they're kind of just that muscular physique that that Westbrook has. There's just something about him where it's a combination of confidence and speed and just his, his crafty ball handling skills. It's just like I could see that forming and I could already see myself just engaged in, in in debates about whether or not he is actually worthy of being talked about as much as he is. I don't know. I, I am very hype on him, uh, and I can't wait to watch my favorite team, the Memphis Grizzlies, this year. I think my concern with Ja would be if he's getting to the rim so much at his size, right? Because Westbrook is so big, he can take hits. And Ja's not such a high usage rate. I just worry, can he hold up for 82 games? I mean, he was going from, he was playing last year, I think it's called the Ohio Valley Conference. Right. He was playing at basically high school gyms and against like much, much less physically gifted players. So can his body take that punishment night after night? Because he's going to get hit a lot. If I was if I was a defense against John Morant, I'm making him shoot and I'm hitting him. Right, yeah. So I guess it depends a lot on how much shooting he'll have around him. Perhaps they'll like clear some of those bodies out of the lane, which means like guys like Jaron Jackson matter. And I do wonder as I look up and down this roster, even if they do want to play a more modern style, if they want to get up and down, if they do want to put Jaron Jackson out in the perimeter more, like where is it going to come outside of him? Yeah, it's tough. So when I was there, like the big debate we were having in the press box was, is the starting two guard Dylan Brooks or Grayson Allen? Like that's the level of you know debate they're having there right now. That's not great because Anthony Melton is is also hurt, a guy that uh, I think they're high on, and and I don't know, I don't really know what he would be in his second year, even if he was uh, kind of healthy there. He has to be able to shoot it if you're playing with Jaw, because Jaw's not a great shooter, and Jaw wants to get and pass to other guys, so Jaw's got to have shooting around him. So yeah, Josh Jackson, save them uh, wherever you may be, Josh. He's in a, well, they're in Northern Mississippi, I think, their G League team. They practice in Memphis. So they practice at the facility and play like 20 minutes away in Mississippi. That sounds terrible. Uh, all right. Let's kind of pivot here to a guy who went right after John Morant in the draft, RJ Barrett. We talked about him a little bit last week, too. So uh, the big thing I think that's happened since then, it seems like David Fitzdale is more open to the idea of playing him as a point guard, or at the very least, labeling him as a point guard when he is handling the ball. The specific quote from Fizdale was, I'm going to sprinkle that in here and there. So that's nice to see. So a little light flavor on top, you know. Right, right. And I don't really think much of this because when we get into labels with some of these more positionally flexible guys, it it becomes basically a, a question of semantics. But I do think it's encouraging that they're more willing to give him the ball because they have so many guys on this team who need the ball and will be ball handlers. 
Yeah, my thought, so I'm looking at their preseason statistics. RJ is averaging 14 field goal attempts per game and two assists per game. So he's number one in field goal attempts and number one, two, three, six in assists. So my thought is perhaps uh, Fisdale is trying to encourage him to pass the ball. So if he's a point guard, well, you got to pass the ball. Right, yes. So that is his primary motivation. It's it's more about like setting him on a course rather than maybe just defining who he is in the NBA right now. I think he's better when he passes. So like RJ gets tendency at college was to start just jacking shots and rushing, forcing his own offense. But really, he's much better when he can pass first, make the defense kind of rotate, then take shots against a rotating defense. RJ can't just shoot every time, which is what he wants to do. The thing with RJ is he's actually a pretty good passer. He just has to want to do it. Right. And the Knicks need to want him to be like his development to be at the top of their list, which I'm not too sure. I mean, there's been talk about Alfred Payton starting alongside Barrett. Uh, and that's a guy who plays similarly to a certain extent just because he needs he needs to be passed first to have really any effect on the court. And Julius Randle, another guy who I think is best when he's attacking downhill. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at their preseason stats. Like their top six guys in minutes, RJ Barrett, Bobby Portis, Kevin Knox, Julius Randle, Alfred Payton, Marcus Morris. They all need the ball. Like this would be a fun thing to watch, see if they don't kill each other. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of guys going to be unhappy in New York, I feel like. I could definitely see the hype train like happening, though, amongst Knicks fans. I think they've gotten to the point in the season, in the preseason, where they realize there isn't a lot of hope. So they're just clinging on to any good RJ moments. I don't know if they're going to be a lot of them this season, but I, I guess you know that's really the only thing that you, they have in this team because I am not a big Knox believer. I'm not a big Smith believer, and they're really just a bunch of veterans after that. But here's the beauty of it, Justin. If you shoot enough times, eventually it will go in, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you'll have some moments. Yes, that's how I live my entire life. High, high volume. <laughs> you miss every take you don't drop, right? You know, got to get them out. This there. is true. All right, well, we're going to wrap it here uh, with Michael Porter Jr. Uh, I watched some uh, more of him. I, I saw him on an ESPN game where he played limited minutes. He played the other day uh, a little bit more. I think he had 11 points and a couple of blocks. To me, he looks incredibly stiff, which is probably something... I, I, I saw that, yeah. I mean, you can expect it from a guy who's had so many back problems, but at the same time, I'm watching him and I'm kind of wincing as he's making his moves. I get where you're coming from. He's not as he used to be athletic-wise. He definitely seems like he's kind of become like... It's a very uh, Monstars, where someone like zapped the athletic ability out of him a little bit. Right. And there were a couple plays where like Jokic set him up and he was completely just alone in the paint, just looking for the ball. And they have so many good players on this team that he, if he is like just doing things off of activity for a couple minutes a game, if he is just another long body that you could throw out there and get some, uh, some playing time, that's something. But I don't know. Like I, at a certain point, I called him just a guy who could swing the NBA season if he is pretty good simply because the Nuggets will have a lot of assets and thus will be able to do things in the trade market. But I don't know. I'm starting to think that that might be a little bit farther away than I had hoped. But I will say, if you're a six foot ten, six foot eleven perimeter player, you don't have to be crazy athletic. You're already so huge and you're a good shooter. That's what I, when I was watching him, I was like, oh yeah, this guy's almost seven feet tall playing at three. So that alone, if you can do that, there's value there, even if you're not dunking on fools, right? Just being so big. Yeah, totally. And uh, I do wonder, though, like if Jeremy Grant is in there, like, and Paul Millsap is obviously going to get minutes. 
Uh, Jokic, obviously, like where the minutes for him come from. I mean, if they're going to still be invested in Plumlee, who's probably going to be a better defender than Porter will ever ever be in his career. So it is crazy. They're freaking stacked with talent. This team, they're so deep. Yeah, they have too many guys, I think. And and that's why I think they make the most sense if Bradley Beal is going to leave Washington. And I would assume that would happen sooner rather than later. Uh, I do wonder if they're just a natural fit for that. It does seem to line up a Beal. To me, the question is, if you're trading for Beal, do you want to trade Jamal Murray or Gary Harris? Because one of those two has to go back in the trade, right? Yeah, I think on that team, let's say that Beal is there, I think it makes the most sense to pair him with Murray just because you have more ball handling there. Really? Uh, See, I worry about defense if it's Murray and Beal. Yeah, that's a good point. But who's initiating the offense? You just rely on Jokic? Yeah, I mean, Beal. So you have, if you trade Murray, you have Beal and Jokic, and they're both initiators. Then you play defensive guys around them. Hmm. Then I wonder, like, because so if you trade Beal and you have Beal, Murray, Jokic, do you think is Beal the third option there? Is he cool with that? Uh, I guess that is because you know Jamal Murray is going to get his shots up. That's going to right as we saw in the playoffs, and it could go one way or, or the other pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Jamal knows what he's paid to do out there. Jamal got paid what one seventy million dollars. Yeah, yeah, he's now on on a max extension. Which he's not changing his game now after that kind of cash. Yeah, that's the thing with Murray. He's just so talented, and I think the ceiling is way higher. But who knows if he'll ever reach what he could be? Whereas with Harris, I think there's some cost certainty now. Yeah, that's what I've been wondering. I I hear everyone saying Harris for Beal, but I just wonder will that can well if it's Murray Beal Jokic. I just wonder because then you're really going to see Jokic not get his shots. Because you know Bill wants his shots too. Bill played, what, eight years John Wall as a second option. Then Wall gets hurt. He gets the number one option. He runs point. Had his best year of his career. And now he's supposed to go to Denver and be the third option. Like, I just wonder about the chemistry with that. Yeah. I, I would assume that after being in Washington for so long, he'd maybe like just relish the idea of of winning, you know, of, of a change of scenery and perhaps uh, playing some relevant basketball because it doesn't seem like he's in hey, line he, for that. He went for- to a game seven in the second round. I know. What, two years yeah, ago? Three years yeah, ago? Yeah. Those, those wizard series, they all blend together to me. They were pretty brutal, for sure. Like the whole wearing black to a funeral thing. It, <laughs> it's honestly one of the, like, the saddest playoff chapters of recent history. It's just like, who cares? Yeah, it, it was tough. I mean, Kelly Olynyk knocked them out one year. Like, come on. But yeah, I, I do think it would inter- be interesting if he ended up on that team. I think they are probably going to finish. Uh, uh, all right, I'm just going to lean into the take. I think they're going to finish at the top of the West simply because of their consistency, because of they already have something that works, whereas a lot of these teams in the West are still figuring yeah. themselves out. And I could see Beal just taking them over the top. So, And the thing that's out to me with Denver, if you look at their roster, other than Jokic, if anybody else goes down, they can plug someone else in pretty comfortably. So they're pretty injury-proof compared to most other teams. And over a long season, like if Murray goes down, they can just plug in some guards, run some more stuff through Jokic. If Millsap goes down, they have Jeremy Grant. If Gary Harris goes down, they have Malik Beasley. They just got guys at every position if somebody gets hurt. And I feel like that's what the best regular season team is going to have to have is that kind of depth. Yeah, I mean, in garbage time when Porter was playing big minutes. I remember Wancho Hernan Gomez was out there. I'm like, man, we thought this guy was going to be He's a like starter. the 12th man. Yeah. Remember yeah. when he was going to be like the sixth man for this team at a certain point? He had a good run in Spain for the World Cup team. Just, there's no minutes for him here. Yeah. R.I.P. Wancho's uh, reign in Denver. All right. That's enough rookie talk for now. Uh, we're going to pivot to the story Charks wrote 
for The Ringer today. Uh, it was a feature on Carl Anthony Towns, basically outlining why Towns could be in for a pretty significant year this year. I think he's a guy that everybody has had high hopes for. And although he's had good individual numbers, he's been in all-star games, he's been on an all-NBA team, he really hasn't really solidified himself as kind of a top 10 guy. Uh, but Sharks, you spent some time up in Minnesota talking to him and guys around him. I guess first, let's talk about the keys for Towns. Like what will make this his year? I think the main thing is the way he's going to be used. There was an interesting line. Um, so I was talking to Ryan Saunders and he said something. He goes, you have to make sure that you're respecting this guy's talent. And that really stuck with me because if you look at what's happened before, pretty clearly Tom Thibodeau did not respect Carl Towns' talent. Tom Thibodeau was like, you're getting in my way. I got Jimmy Butler. Go post up. Stop bothering me. Right? And they just never really, he never really believed in this guy as a featured player. Now that Jimmy's gone, now that Tibbs is gone, it seems like this new management in Minnesota, they're, how do we maximize Carl Towns? That was their first question. Whereas the old management, that was maybe question number eight or nine. And I think now they're like, okay, how do we make the best out of Carl Towns? Well, this guy is arguably the best shooting big man of all time. He has the highest career three-point percentage of any seven-footer. Let's use this. Let's make most of this kind of ability. Yeah, it's crazy to think that you have perhaps one of the most talented guys in the NBA, a guy whose game is just completely unique in the scope of of, of recent history. And you're like, actually, we're going to just follow Tom Thibodeau and just like grind out basketball and Jimmy Butler and all this other stuff. Yeah, it's like we had this Lamborghini, but we're going to get into a freaking, what's it called? Uh, those two cars hit each other a lot and a little fire pit. Something like that's crazy. You had this like sports monster car, like a back truck. That's the one. Yeah, monster trucks. Okay, <laughs> like you're, you're turning a Lambo into monster truck. It's just it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I was talking to Towns, and I asked him this question. I was like, "How are y'all you going to be used differently this year?" And the way he responded, I just like felt his pain. He's like, "Bro, you don't even know, man. I'm going to be used at all. It's crazy." That's what he basically told me. Yeah, and, and we saw that toward the end of last season where Saunders takes over and all of a sudden it's the town show and his numbers are insane. I do wonder, though, as I look at this roster, even though they did make some good moves, getting guys like Jordan Bell in there, guys who will potentially fit with Towns and help him reach his potential, guys like Jarrett Culver in the draft who are switchable and could help on the defensive end where they've been really porous since Towns has been there pretty much. If there's enough there to make enough of a leap as a team, yeah, it's hard to say. They have to have so they have so many things that have to go right to be a playoff team in the West. I think it starts this year with how can we maximize Towns, and once we've maximized him, how does everybody else fit around him? I get the feeling there's going to be a lot of trades happening over the next year or two. I mean, John, when you have a new GM take over, this is not anything I've heard. This is me speculating. But my guess would be in three years, the only guys left on this roster are Carl Towns and Jerry Culver. I'd bet everybody else is out of here. Yeah, I believe Jeff Teague is on an expiring contract. and Yeah, last year for Teague. I mean, Andrew Wiggins, like even when we were talking about Towns like earlier this week, he just like he's just a non-factor. He's just the guy that's there. He's basically a cap hold at this point. What I think is interesting is do they try to look at this as a one to two year process to show to towns that, you know, we're ready to win. We want to invest in you. Let's go. Or do they think of the big picture? They have towns on this extension. Is this going to be a a multi-year process? 
I think they want, they're trying to think big. They know we have them for five years, so we don't have to rush it right away. Because the last thing you want to do is box yourself in again by like making a lot of win now moves. And that was something that I talked to Roses, the new GM, and he basically, he said, we don't want to be selfish or short-sighted with the moves we make to try to win now, which seemed to me, you know, a little bit of a subtweet there. Like we're not going to rush things. I mean, I'm watching the Bulls and Zach Levine is scoring at will. Like, can you imagine if they had Levine and Towns? That'd be amazing. Yeah. I mean, the comp that I always bring up because I, I am a one note uh, former Pelicans beat writer, but also I think it's relevant considering their games and where they were at this point in their career is just Anthony Davis. And I was one who would say when you sign Davis to the extension, you should have started thinking four years down the road, not next year. Instead, mm-hmm. they played season to season and it ended up with Davis ultimately wanting out. I think the wrinkle now that we look at the landscape of the league that probably wasn't there when Davis was going through the same thing is just guys want out sooner. And I do wonder, and this is something that like is at the top of my list in terms of things this season, if the next wave of guys, if the Simmons, if the Towns, if the D'Angelo Russells, if they don't get what they want immediately, if that's going to become an issue sooner. Maybe, but if I'm the Wolves, I don't care. You're here for five years. Yeah. Like, I'm not starting over again. Yeah. What are you going to do about it? That's definitely how management should take that. Like, that's the perspective they should take because, like, ultimately, Towns can't do anything. But at the same time, he really is their team, and they're out there saying he is their team. And if he just doesn't want to get there, guys have really found a way to get where they want. So I do think um, what they're hoping, their best chance to surprise people is, like, the power of a center shooting threes. So they're going to be a lot smaller this year. They uh, they used to start it used to be Towns Taj Gibson this year it'll be Towns Robert Covington and that team is going to be they're going to hurt inside with kind of a smaller front line but if your center is taking like seven or eight threes a game and your power forwards taking like seven or eight threes a game you're going to have a lot of room to attack the rim it's going to be really hard to guard you and like I think the idea is remember how Brooke Lopez opened up the offense from Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Imagine if Brooke Lopez could shoot off the dribble and score 30, 35 points a night. And if that's happening, does the defense attract so much attention to Carl Towns that he makes Jeff Teague better, even Wiggins? Yeah. Because now the lane is wide open. If Wiggins is like the fifth guy out there and is just scoring off of activity, like that would be helpful. Yeah, I had some clips in my article of Towns hitting Wiggins cutting. That's one thing Wiggins can do is shoot layups. So let's simplify the game for you. What a low bar there. Just take a bunch of layups. That's what we need you to the do. The max player on our roster is good at layups. Hey, let's start somewhere, okay? We're starting over. Yeah. It's, it's a new day. Yeah, there really isn't much more you could do there. I, I don't know if he has any trade value there. I, I personally would love to see a situation where the Thunder just get really ballsy and they'd pull a Wiggins for Chris Paul sort of situation just because they have such a... I don't think Minnesota is doing that, though. They don't need Chris Paul getting Carl Towns' ear, souring him. (laughs) That's that's true. Uh, As we mentioned, uh, he did not do a good job with that with Blake Griffin. Here's my take with Wiggins. I feel like Andrew Wiggins, Phoenix Sun. He feels a very Phoenix Sun player to me. Yeah, I mean, Phoenix is going to get desperate at some point this season. We know what's going to happen. Yeah, maybe you could sell Wiggins and Booker. I don't know. Maybe you could sell that. Booker is going to want a friend eventually. I mean, I'm yeah. hopeful that Aiton is a little bit more mobile this year. Uh, he seems to be doing better on the defensive end in preseason for what it's worth. But God, that yeah, they expect to be 
competitive in the West, and the West is just stacked. I, I can't see them finishing. I mean, they signed Rubio. They got in Saric. They're, yeah, they're trying to, they brought in like Aaron Baines. They're trying to win. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, let's wrap it right there. Uh, we will be back next week. Chris will probably be back with us and we'll be able to talk about some regular season NBA basketball, believe it or not. Yeah, it's uh, here we go. We made it. Uh, so until next time for Sharks, for Isaac, I'm Justin. We will see you next time. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.